Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, hope you brought those with you. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm chapter 98 today. Psalm 98. So go ahead and turn there. As you're turning there, as always, I want to thank Brandy and and the praise team for leading us in a time of worship. But I want to especially... I uh, thank my wife, Victoria, today because, A, she's beautiful. Uh, she's my wife. She's a rock star. She puts up with myself and two crazies right there. But, B, she just beautifully introduced my sermon today because this morning we're going to start a brand new series uh, where we're going to study some of our favorite carols of Christmas. And quite literally, uh, what I hope to show you is that these are actually sermons that you can sing because each one of them is birthed right out of Scripture, and the words in them are going to remind us of the beautiful promises that we can be thankful for this holiday season. In other words, Christmas carols that you might sing each year, like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and Joy to the World, which is going to be our focus today. These are not only songs that we should sing to celebrate Christmas, but they should also be a way that as, uh, as Christians we can express ourselves and worship our Lord, our God, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior and Lord, which of course is Jesus. So as we begin that today, as we look at this song, would you go with me now to the, to the Lord in the time of prayer? Father, we are so grateful for this season. God, it's such a special season. Uh, and Father, I do pray that in the midst of all the bad, we would see the good. God, that we would see that, that despite all these things that are happening to us, God, we win. We are on the winning side because 2,000 years ago, you sent your son Jesus, God, to, to deliver us of this cursed world, to deliver us of our sins so that we might be restored and renewed. And so, Father, we might sing joy to the world. Father, I pray that we would remind ourselves of this truth, of this a word that's found in your sacred word as this song was burped out of it. So God, I pray that as we do that in these next few moments, God, that you would allow me to be able to communicate that in a way that would honor you, that would glorify you, God, that, that would allow uh, others to hear it, God, and to penetrate their hearts, God, so that all of us together might come to know you better, might come to appreciate the gift that you've given us this Christmas season, and that we might go out and share that with others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Joy to the World was a song that was written about 300 years ago by a, nam- by a man named Isaac Watts. Uh, he was inspired to write it based on the words found in Psalm 98, which is a psalm that we're going to look at today here in a moment. What, what, what is so interesting about this song is I was doing some research in preparation for this sermon is that Isaac Watts, when he wrote this song, he actually had no intention whatsoever for it to be a Christmas carol. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, what he had in mind, and if you look at the words closely, you'll kind of catch on to this, but if you look at the, the lyrics of this song, you're going to notice that in this song, not one time is the word Christmas or anything that would kind of reference Christmas, not, not one time is that mentioned. Uh, the birth of Jesus, which is the reason for the season, as we say, it's not one time referenced in this song. Instead, Isaac Watts He had the second coming of Christ uh, in mind when he wrote these words. But as you and I both know, God just sometimes has a sense of humor. He sometimes wants to use things that were intended for this way to be used that way. And and this song has become just a Christmas carol that we've come to to cherish, love, uh, in the 20th century. And it's been translated literally 
uh, into dozens of different languages all over the world. It's probably the most famous Christmas carol, if you want to call it that at least, of uh, our modern day. So the question is, is this, what did Isaac Watts see in Psalm 98 that inspired this powerful carol that shouts joy to the world. Well, let's read this psalm together now. Okay, we're going to try to discover why he wrote these words that we sing and cherish today. Look, look, at, look at the text, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read the whole psalm. It's a pretty short one. But it says this, and, and as we're doing this, let me just say, look at the language and kind of look at the similarities between this psalm and, and some of the words that we sing. I think you'll, you'll see that. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord, be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horns, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. You see, what I believe Isaac Watts saw in this psalm some 300 years ago was a beautiful depiction of the entire universe worshiping the Lord as we see as he depicts this as, as the sea roars, as the rivers claps their hands, as the mountains sing. In other words, what this psalm is showing us is all of God's creating, shouting joy to the world. And this is why I believe Isaac Watts wrote this song so long ago. But in a year like 2020, can we still confidently sing this song? Can we still confidently sing joy to the world? I mean, based on all of the hardships, all the troubles, I don't have to go into detail here. You know what they are. There, there are many. Why break forth into joyous song and sing praises? I mean, why even do that? Why do what Psalm 98 is telling us to do? Why make a joyful noise? Why? For what? For what? You look around and you say, where's the joy? Why, why should the sea roar in gladness in all that fills it? And most importantly, why should we as Christians roar in gladness as well, despite all the sufferings we've had to face and endure? Well, based upon this passage of Scripture and the, and the song that, again, was birthed out of it, I believe that this Christmas season, I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe we can still, despite those things, shout joy to the world. I want to talk about those with you today. The first one is this. First one, first truth, first principle, however you want to say that. Christmas is that God became man. Christmas is that God became man. That's why we shout joy to the world, because the Lord is come. He's come. He's, he's here. He that made man became man because Jesus is God in 
the flesh, or to put it like the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 2.9. He says this, he says, The entire fullness of God's nature, it dwells bodily in Christ. Because again, Jesus was not just another baby that was born. He is God made man. By the way, that's, that's when, when Christ was born, angels came down from heaven to announce His birth. That's why when Christ was born, men from distant lands, they traveled just to come see Him, to get a glimpse of Him, to worship Him. That's why when Christ was born, a star appeared in the sky, and not just anywhere, but right over where our Savior laid His head. Church, let let us never forget that Jesus was not just another baby, but that this is God in the manger. For God went from God the Spirit to God the man. In this moment, He went from God in heaven to God with us, Emmanuel. You see, it's no wonder that Psalm 98 says that all of creation is roaring at the name of Jesus for the maker of the heavens, the makers of the earth, has come to dwell among us. Of course the earth is going to shout in joy to that truth. And so should we. So should we, church. So should we. Church, we should sing. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room in heaven and nature. Sing because Christmas symbolizes God's initiative in loving us. It symbolizes God's initiative to come and end the suffering that we have created for ourselves by rebelling against our Maker. Because listen to this, salvation is not man coming to God. Salvation is God coming to man to save them from their sins. And this Christmas season, we should celebrate that through the birth of Jesus because that is exactly what God did in sending Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Secondly, secondly, because we shouldn't just sing joy to the Lord because God became man, but secondly, we should sing joy to the world because in Christ's suffering, sin will never have the last word. Do you realize that, church, that in Christ's suffering, yes, we're talking about His birth, but what I want to talk about is life, too, because the birth symbolizes the life that He was going to live. And in His life, in His suffering, sin will never have the last word. See, there's a very interesting verse in this song, Joy to the World, that I want to draw your attention to today. Isaac Watts writes this. He says, No more let sins and sorrows grow. And no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. For as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, for as, for as, the curse is found. Question for you. What exactly is the curse that Isaac Watts is alluding to here? What exactly is that curse It's the curse of sin, right? That's what he's talking about. And I want you to notice that Isaac Watts, he doesn't put curse just once in the song or twice in the song. He's repeating it over and over and over again to make this point all the more clear. You see, Isaac Watts knew something. He knew that it was not going to be easy to sing joy to the world in such a broken, sin-infested place that we call earth. 
Let me just tell you a little bit about his life because his life was not easy. He was not only a hymn writer, but he was also a pastor. He was plagued by a disease later in life, and he could no longer do ministry. He could no longer go and preach at churches. Throughout his life, he, again, wrote these hymns, but he actually faced opposition, not from unbelievers, but he faced opposition from people in the church because of the hymns that he was writing. At that time, Isaac Watts was writing some very new, um, some very uh, contemporary hymns, if you will, and the church did not like that one bit. And they criticized him over and over and over again and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's wrong. You're wrong in doing this. Can you imagine? I guess we're not too much different today. We don't always like new things, do we? Well, that was the case for much of his life. Perhaps worst of all, though, listen to this, perhaps worst of all, he was turned down by the love of his life when he got down on one knee and proposed to her and she just said no. I mean, does it, does it get much lower than that? Yet despite that, what I want to show you, right, is that he still decides, despite all of the trials, despite all the pains, despite all the heartbreaks that symbolized his life, he still decides to write this song, Joy to the World. And you got to wonder why a man like that would write such a thing. I mean, why would he do that? Well, quite simply, I believe Isaac Watts, he wrote this song as a way of preaching the hope of the gospel to himself. Uh, I believe that he wrote these songs to remind us that though this life is going to be filled with pains, though this life is going to be filled with, with worries and troubles, we can still find joy in the world because through Christ He has given us everlasting hope and everlasting peace as He has reconciled us, restored us, and redeemed us. Church, there is indeed a curse of sin on this earth. Make no mistake about it. It is everywhere you look. It is unfortunately represented in our own lives in this room. And if you look out in the world, my goodness, can you not see the curse of sin all over the earth? But like Isaac Watts, we need to remind ourselves that we have a Savior that took that curse of sin upon Himself so that we would never have to experience it again in eternity. Church, while our flesh may fail, while our flesh and lies may wither away, we need to remind ourselves that our inner being is growing stronger each day in the Lord who is making all things new. And yes, while you and I will one day, one day we will be buried six feet down, we need to remind ourselves so that through Christ we're actually going to be raised up in new life and we will be with Him and the Father in paradise in heaven forevermore. We should sing joy to the world about those things. And what I want to show you again is that he did not write this song as a Christmas carol, but he wrote it, right, as I told you about the second coming of Christ and the joy that all of creation is going to experience when Jesus comes back again and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And can I just take a moment and to remind you of this glorious day because it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Let's listen to how it's described just real quick. I, I have to do this, okay? Revelation 21, you don't have to turn there, but it'll be on, it'll be on the screen. Just listen how it's described, though. It's going to be so good. It says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, 
adorned for her husband. You know how a beautiful bride looks on her wedding day? Well, imagine that times a bazillion because God is preparing to give us a place that reflects His own glory, His own beauty, and it's going to be amazing. But get this, it gets even better. Look at verse 3 now. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and He will live with them. They will be with His peoples and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Did you catch that? Because through Christ's pain, what this text is showing is that sin will never have the last word. In fact, it's going to be cast out forever. And as believers, we are promised a day, church, when there's going to be no more hatred, no more racism, no more strife, no more jealousy, no more anger, no more disasters, no more wars, no more sickness, no more death. We get to sing joy to the world because this is a truth that is coming to us if we have placed our faith in Him and we should just shout in joy over those promises. Church, heaven is beautiful. It is perfect. And it's a very real place that God is preparing for us if you've, again, placed your faith in Him. So remind yourself... Remind yourself that though you feel the effects of the curse of sin now in your life, though you experience the heartaches, the trials, the pains, the burdens that this life brings, there is coming a day when God is going to make all things new again. And through Christ's suffering, you're going to be a recipient of that. And we get to sing joy to the world for those very reasons. So through this passage of Scripture through this carol that was birthed out of this passage, remind yourself, despite all of the hardships, despite all of the troubles, there is reason to have joy in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, because this Christmas, it reminds us that God became man. That in Christ's suffering, sin will never have the last word. And then lastly, I want to remind you of this truth, and that is that Jesus came to redeem sinners and to restore rebellious hearts. And that's why Jesus came. He came to re- redeem sinners and to restore rebellious hearts. You see, there are two things that you can do about the revelation of God in Christ. Number one, you can choose to believe. You can, you can choose to repent of your sins and, and place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And, and you can choose to receive all the things that we've talked about because you believe them and you've placed your faith in them. Or two... You can choose to rebel. That's your other option. You can choose to believe, but you can also choose to walk away and rebel. You can continue to believe that that you can somehow be saved based upon your own good deeds, your own good works from your sins. And you can just go off and believe those things. Listen, the, the beauty, one of the beauties at least of Christianity is that we have a choice. We get to decide what we place our faith in. Many religions don't have that luxury. Many religions are very rigid and strict, and then you have to, you have to do this. You're, you're compelled. You, you don't have any other choice. But Christianity gives us a choice in what we ought to believe in or what we want to believe in. For God, He has the power to make us into robots, 
to compel us or to force us to, to worship him. But you know that, that God is a God of authenticity. God is a God of genuous, genuineness, which means he gives us the freedom to decide whether or not we want to place our faith in him because he wants a true and real relationships with each one of us. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you here is that though God has made it abundantly clear through his word and through the salvation that's only found in Christ and Christ alone, you ultimately get to decide whether or not you want to embrace that, to accept that, to accept that reality in your life. And perhaps, listen to this, perhaps there are some of you who are here today or who are watching online and you've taken full advantage of that. Perhaps there are some of you who have decided to just rebel against your family, against the Christian culture, Christian values, Christian faith. Perhaps there, there's some of you here today, perhaps today, and the only reason you're here is because your mom or dad made you. Maybe you're watching online, and the only reason you're watching online is because you, you maybe were forced to. Perhaps there, there are some of you who have chosen to live a life of, of unrepentant sin, uh, of, that's filled with worldly pleasure, worldly um, sins, and all of those things that would encompass those, so, that sort of lifestyle. And you've adopted this mentality or this motto that's quite popular in the world, at least it was several years ago, I believe it is now, and it's this mentality that, that only God can judge me. You've heard that before, right? That motto of only God can judge me. Listen, if that describes you in any shape or form, then I want you to know that's true. God and God alone can, can be the only ones that can judge you. Only God can judge you for the life you've chosen to live. But may I remind you this morning that you're forgetting another vital truth of that motto. And that is that He will. God will judge you because this very last verse in Psalm 98, the same psalm that has inspired Isaac Rice to write, Joy to the world, he says, for he is coming to judge the world. The earth, he will judge the world righteously and the peoples, that includes you and I, fairly. In other words, you're going to reap what you sow. If you live a life of rebellion, if you live a life of sin and all those things, then just what you're going to receive on Judgment Day. Listen very closely to me here. Jesus' first coming on this earth, it was good news for those who have placed their faith in Him, but it's bad news. It's bad news if you've rebelled. It's bad news if you've walked away, if you've chosen that path in your life, because there is coming a day when Jesus will return. You understand that there is coming a day when you are going to have to stand before God himself. And for the believer, it's going to be a day of indescribable joy, of indescribable victory. Because by placing your faith in Christ, God's wrath in your life for your sins, it's already been paid for. That's why Jesus came. It's going to be a day of joy, of of gratitude for what Jesus has done. We're just going to be amazed by the grace we're given through Jesus. We're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God with with open arms. But listen to me, for the unbeliever, it's going to be a day of indescribable anguish. It is going to be a day of, of indescribable pain. As God's wrath for their sins, it's going to fall fully 
on their shoulders. You're not going to be able to take that load on and you're going to be cast into the gates of hell forever separated from God. And so if you're here today, if you're watching online, I don't know. I don't know. But if you're here today or you're doing that and and you've realized, maybe for the first time, the weight of the path that you're on, the weight and the magnitude of, of, of your sinful life lifestyle, that you've been unrepentant, that you've been rebellious, and I want you to know and remind you that Jesus came down on this earth nearly 2,000 years ago to save you from those very things. He's come to save you from those very things. Jesus, listen, He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you deserved to die. The wages of sin is death, so if you believe in Him, you will experience everlasting life. You'll be restored. You'll be redeemed. You'll be made new through Christ. Church, that's the gift of Christmas. Do you understand that that is the gift of Christmas? It is the greatest gift that you and I ever get to receive on this earth, but we must take the initiative to accept it. To embrace it. We have the choice. The choice is ours. Jesus is saying, here is the gift for you, but we must reach out and take that gift. If we do, our lives will be forever changed. So this holiday season, church, let's, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's remember that nearly 2,000 years ago, God became man and dwelt among us. Let's remind ourselves that in Christ's suffering, sin will never have the last word. And let's receive this gift. Let's embrace this gift in our lives, even in our own rebellion and past mistakes. God's grace is sufficient for you. Jesus loves you, and he wants to give you this free gift. Let's accept that because he has extended it to each and every one of us. We just have to take the initiative to take it for ourselves. Church, if we do that, If we do that, I believe that no matter how difficult the rest of this year is, no matter how difficult and hard the next year will be, or the next year after that, we can still sing joy to the world. Because Christmas reminds us that our Savior is coming. He's coming again. He's coming to restore us and redeem us. And He is coming again to make all things new. A new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be amazing and I cannot wait. Would you receive that joy? Would you receive that gift in your own lives today? I pray that you will this Christmas season. Let's pray.